Welcome back to another installment of the podcast for cultural reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute. This is Worldview Wednesday. It's passed down as a prophecy every year about this time. Our host for today's episode is Nathan Oblack. Yeah, Joe, I, I just want to take some of your line of thinking there in referencing the freedoms we experience because of the Christianization of the West. And I'm seeing that play out in something you also talked about earlier with the Spanish flu, because when the Spanish flu was happening in North America, uh, there were people wearing masks, but it was largely uh, voluntary. They were recommendations from the state to wear masks. Uh, Look at the deaths around you. You can see them around you. You can see this is serious. You ought to wear masks. And people did it voluntarily. Well, here we are in 2020, and we obviously don't see that now. Um, you must wear a mask. And these are the edicts coming down from the state and coming down from these technocrats that I think we're increasingly de- deferring to. Mm. Well, first of all, I mean, the CDC in the United States has uh, has made clear from 40 years of scientific research that the the evidence for... Um, preventing the spread of respiratory illnesses with droplets from these from these cloths or these sort of face nappies that people are <laughs> are, are, are wearing mm-hmm. is not even scant. Uh, and one of the reasons reasons we we know that even now is that the, the take various countries in Europe, for example, there has been the usual spike in flu um, uh, infections. Um, while people have been masked up and social distancing, the flu is spreading as normal. It's tracking with other years. So obviously, uh, the uh, well, it just backs up what research has shown over the years about um, uh, about masks. And if you take the example too of in South America of Brazil and Peru, so there you have two countries: one which locked down military style mm-hmm. Peru, and uh, and 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 one which didn't. And um, uh, 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 Peru's outcomes have been worse than Brazil. Uh, so you know, even from the um, from the from the medical standpoint, we could challenge all of that. But you make a great point uh, just on the freedom issue. Mm-hmm. When people talk about, well, there have been uh, there have been quarantines in the past. Yeah, sure, there have been some limited quarantines in the past of the sick, and where some uh, uh, communities voluntarily quarantine um because of um you know the 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 degrees of disease uh in their in their community of course there is a difference between an epidemiologist have have talked about the difference between um disease uh and infection um and non-symptomatic infection if your immune system is working perfectly well which it has its design to because you come into contact with bacteria and viral material all of the time most of your life um uh, if it's working and functioning properly and you have no symptoms, in what sense do you have a dis-ease? You don't feel any dis-ease at all. Um, and, uh, you know, we see that we know that children really just don't don't uh, don't pass it around. So um, there's all, all of that discussion could be had and maybe it would be a, a, an opportune moment for another time for, perhaps for us to bring in some of our doctor friends to talk about the accumulation now over the past six months of, of that kind of evidence. But the issue of the voluntariness of things i think is absolutely critical um and in scripture actually the diagnosis of disease wasn't given to the state 
it wasn't an arm of, of the judges or the kings that were diagnosing diseases. It was actually a Levitical role, which handled health, welfare, and education. So it would actually be um, a medical community that was diagnosing whether somebody was diseased and potentially infectious and, 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 and therefore requesting um, quarantine. Now, in, in Scripture, so we see that people who actually have a disease, who show themselves to the priest, and there's a period of time where they're required to be outside the camp, uh, show themselves to the priest, and there's regulations about burning clothing, and even, if, uh, in, in some instances, destroying uh, potentially an infected house. So uh, there is definitely room in Scripture for us to say um, uh, quarantine um, of uh, somebody with a disease that is highly infectious has a place. But who's doing the diagnosing and who's doing the enforcing and how much of it is uh, uh, for healthy populations is voluntary or involuntary? That's it. That's that's the issue here. And let me come back to uh, Lewis's article in The Observer. It's evergreen, Lewis, here, right? It's fantastic. There's so much of use in this article. He says, I believe uh, uh, a man is happier and happy in a richer way if he has the freedom of mind, right? And he goes on. But I doubt whether he can have this without economic independence, which the new society is abolishing. For economic independence allows an education not controlled by government. And in adult life, it is the man who needs and asks nothing of government who can criticize its acts and snap his fingers at its ideology. Now, that is an insightful statement right there. Or is it because medicine is now controlled by the state, education is controlled by the state, and the church now increasingly is allowing itself not to walk in freedom, but to be controlled by the state? We are losing our ability to walk in freedom. And as you've rightly noted, um, these uh, measures in the past were recommendations, and people had the freedom to monitor their own risk. Um, so we're not being cavalier here. We recognize that uh, people who are like, the vulnerability of people with uh, other diseases or the extremely elderly who have, um, especially those with comorbidities, should be protected, but not protected in the way that, that, that in the protected against their wishes, uh, protected in a way that you cannot see your grandchildren. Oh, sorry that you're dying, but you cannot see your, your son, your daughter. Uh, that is a violation of the freedom of the family, and it's up to, should be up to parents whether they uh, and children and a family, whether should be up to the elderly person themselves, whether they want to see their family um, in that condition or not. And it's for the family to uh, monitor that risk. And it's for the church in a free society to uh, make non-civil private regulations and law to govern its worship and not to be forced to enforce these draconian measures upon people people can are well capable of self-selecting away from a congregational service if they feel they are at a high risk of, of contracting something. Is that the point you're making? Yeah, well, and even this notion of self-selection, I feel like this is something in our culture that's increasingly socialized. Uh, we would like to defer that to others. We, we want uh, these, we keep coming back to this idea of technocracy. We would like these uh, powers that be delegate these things for us. Yeah. And I think that's just growing in intensity uh, here in the West. And as we continue to uh, move in this direction, we're going to see uh, that, that technocracy's uh, authority and power continue to grow. 
and continue to work its way into the church. And like you've mentioned numerous times, there there's an alarming lack of resistance mm-hmm. to that happening. Even to the politicization of medicine. And of course, this is the importance of when I talk about it was the it was the Levites performing a medical function to diagnose. What I'm saying there is in a contemporary application, an independent medical community should be looking at these things. But our medical community isn't independent anymore. And medicine has been politicized to the point where a Toronto doctor who's been in the news recently was being condemned by the Australian Parliament because she was uh, was criticizing the collapse of freedom in medicine for doctors to prescribe hydroxychloroquine uh, to, in the early stages of the virus, which is shown to be effective, um, and doctors facing censure or being banned or being struck off as though hydroxychloroquine is some sort of Republican drug all of a sudden, <laughs> used for 65 years yeah. as a therapeutic in numerous uh, um, instances, especially with things like malaria as an antiviral, and known to have therapeutic benefit in the early stages, and yet being treated, doctors being treated as though they are pariahs. We've seen the cancellation of doctors, of course, in America on this. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the politicization then and the bureaucratization of medicine so that it becomes part of this technocracy that you're talking about. So that politics and medicine, this is why we've got made in this country. We've got medical assistance in dying. Who's driving that? It's government. It's politicians who are driving the expansion. So on the one hand, we're saying, oh, we've got to save all these elderly people in the homes who have got these comorbidities. We need to extend their lives by a few months by protecting them from the virus. We need to protect the elderly. And yet they're trying to expand euthanasia uh, at exactly the same time so that we kill off our elderly population. There's something that does not add up here. Why doesn't the Christian community recognize it? And you've hinted at it, Nathan. Dechristianization and the fact that the vast majority of Christians today, it's unfortunate, but the majority do not have a distinctly Christian world and life view. They don't think about medicine. They don't think about law. They don't think about politics in terms of a distinctly Christian view. We've taken on, we've imbibed the statism of our era, the authoritarianism of our era, and now increasingly this technocratic bureaucratization of life that we're now willing to even say, well, yeah, sure, you go ahead. Just reach into the church. Tell us how to worship. Tell us how many people can come. Tell us whether we can take communion. Tell us whether we can sing. And soon enough, they'll be telling us what we can and can't teach. That's exactly what Bill C-8 uh, represents. Tell mm-hmm. us how we can counsel people. Yeah. So I'd like to see, and I lay this down as a challenge on this podcast, I would like to see what the Gospel Coalition has to say about Bill C-8. And maybe we'd like to invite somebody from the Gospel Coalition onto our podcast, why don't you come and have a discussion with us about what is a Christian, a distinctly Christian view of the state and the role of the church? We really would love to uh, to hear that, and we'll try to reach out to uh, to some of these people that have been sort of active on, uh, on this front with the lockdown. Mm-hmm. Another point that I, I just want to make this in passing, we could spend a lot of time on it, but uh, we're, we're getting low on time, but uh, another thing I think that I think this highlights, and both of you have uh, have touched on it, is that Christians have been sort of woefully underrepresented, I think, in the areas of data literacy. 
information mm -hmm. and uh, management, technology and statistics. Uh, we, I, I think that there, there is a, a responsibility on Christians and Christian leaders to, to have the, the discernment to recognize, you, you know, that's a, that's a fallacious use of statistics. That's mm -hmm. an, uh, you know, you're putting it in this style of graph because it looks more dramatic. Right, like we, case we, rates. Yeah, we need to understand, right. and, and more, more Christians need to understand, be able to articulate and call a flag when it says, hey, like, you're, you're running an illegal play there. You, you, right. can't, well, uh, you can't do that. I mean, as Christians, do we care about the truth or not? Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And the case-demic, where you get this constantly, which is really what this become now, where you get this endless reporting of cases as though somehow uh, what is normal and natural to happen during the summer months as people interact is that there would be a passing around of um, uh, elements in of what's left of the viral load of a, of, of a respiratory disease um, without and, and just simply publishing uh, graphs with cases without showing the declining graph of hospitalizations a declining graph of deaths, and failing to point out that hypertesting, that's PCR testing, where countries have massively ramped up tests, like in Britain where we're, and, and in Canada, where we're ramping up the testing, of course, you detect viral fragments, dead virus, you get all these false positives, and then you get a case-demic, right? Now, as we move into the winter, because it's been known for decades that respiratory, respiratory diseases are seasonal, of course we're going to see an uptick in uh, not only cases, but cases which um, will, will result in people getting sick, um, especially in the older population. Um, but in the UK, it's become clear that more people now have died as a result of lockdowns and um, uh, masks and suicide and these things than have died directly of COVID. Um, and this sort of very misleading presentation of things that you've talked about, Ryan, and the mind-boggling, it seems, inability of so many people, Christians, to cut through the media sloganizing to actually ask from a, from a worldview standpoint, what does it mean to have integrity with statistics? you know a news fragment which is what we're treated to these days you know if you listen to 680 news for example these are just fragments right uh fragments without debate fragments without counterpoint fragments without robust discussion and this is what we and this is why groups like the justice center for constitutional freedoms have asked uh, provincial government repeatedly and i've heard this this week repeatedly for requests for the scientific data to produce the evidence on which these decisions are being made is met with stonewalling. This is lawyers making these requests. Yeah. You, you uh, mentioned the Levitical office there and the need for that independent uh, medical ex examination. Because if, if the state is going out and har harvesting that data, and you know, that's, uh, it, it lives with them, we get... Right what they deem fit to show us in yeah, if the you're format not, that they want to show it in. If you're not re rewarded by the state, you're free to do medicine. Yeah. Right? In your own way. 
And uh, we're, we're, we're fools if we think that there's pressure on, on doctors and medical professionals not to surrender to on, on pain of ostracism or, or, or sidelining or whatever. Um, we've already seen that uh, uh, politicians who oppose uh, non-constitutional behavior in provincial government like Bill 195 uh, the extension of emergency powers without an emergency, mm-hmm. just get cer- unceremoniously pitched out of caucus. Yeah. And, you know, doctors aren't stupid. They know that they're in for a similar treatment. So as Christians, we are obligated to, you know, what does the scripture tell us? God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and of a sound mind. And if we run around in fear, parroting media narratives without a careful examination of what's actually taking place, um, we're not serving the interests of the kingdom of God because we're not serving the interests of truth. And I think, uh, I mean, you've written extensively about this, Joe, but uh, is that not the ecclesiasticizing of the kingdom that you've often talked about? We've been content to think of kingdom building in absence of a world and life view uh, as happening merely within the walls of the church. And what's interesting to me now is that we have a government and a state saying, you can't do what you've normally been doing. Uh, You can't gather the way you've normally been gathering in the past. And it may be indefinite. It may be permanent. Yep. And we're becoming content with that even. Yes, the, do- the docility is, is, is frightening. Now, we don't deny that I would argue that the state, the, the, the point at which the state impinges on the life of the church. You asked a question at the beginning, Ryan. You said, what is the church? Well, mm-hmm. the church of Jesus Christ is, of course, um, an invisible body on the one hand. Right? It's, the, it's the body of Christ. Um, uh, there are multiple ways in which the scriptures speak about the church. But uh, we mustn't confuse the existence of the institution of the church simpliciter, if you will, with the body of Christ, because there are plenty of churches that are not that are apostate that couldn't be argued to be part of the body of Christ. But the, the church of Jesus Christ, his body, as it is expressed institutionally and locally on the earth, is a is a form of government. It's God's embassy. We are Christ's ambassadors, Paul says. And whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loose in heaven. It's the pillar and support of the truth. It has its own government. It appoints its own officers. It establishes its own authority. It declares its freedom under the Lord Jesus Christ. We will not bow the knee to Caesar. That's what the early church says. Kurios, Lord, Jesus Christ is Lord. Revelation 1.5, he's the ruler of the kings of the earth. Ephesians 1, Colossians 1, all power and authority is made for him. It's from him, it's through him, it's to him. All things are from, from him, through him, to him. That's a Romans 11, 36. Um, and uh, we are in a spiritual conflict. Ephesians 6 makes that crystal clear. Christ Jesus is king, and he, as Romans 13 makes clear, is over all forms of power and authority, including state authority. And the church declared its independence, its freedom from the beginning. Um, now, we recognize that the state, which is God's avenger against evildoers, 
then there's the, the the state is qualified in terms of our reformation or understanding. It, it's it's a jural qualification, right? Um, the jural aspect of our lives and our experience is qualified by the idea of tribution or retribution. So the role of the state as a ministry of justice. So it's a public legal institution, and wherever it goes, it brings a different type of coercion. The family has its own type of coercion. It's a moral coercion, and it's parental discipline. The church as a government, so the family is a form of government. Let's just take those three institutions. The family is a form of government. It has parental discipline. It has a moral authority and suasion. Um, and the state has no right or authority to tell me how to t educate or, or run my family. Uh, it doesn't have the right to tell me what I'm going to feed my children. This is where we're getting to with the technocracy, right? Would we say, well, yeah, the state has every right to reach into the family home and say what well, my wife's going to cook my kids for dinner? So the, the family, which, by the way, not until the advent of Christianity and, its, and Christianization in culture, did the family enjoy proper liberty and freedom from the tyranny of a patriarchal figure. So the family is, is established in terms of its own government. Paul is, Paul is clear about in Ephesians about the establishment of the family and the way in which it's, it's governed. Um, the church has its own authority. It too has a prophetic and moral authority, and it has a coercive power over its members to the extent, not it's not the coercive power of the family, right? So the church doesn't dictate what people are going to eat. It doesn't tell them how they're going to structure their family life and discipline their kids. That's for parents to do. But it does have the power of excommunication. It has the power of church discipline. That's the right and privilege of every member. It brings spiritual discipline into our lives. The state uh, has a more expansive coercive power. It's of a different nature. Um, it's a public jural uh, uh, quality. Uh, to be God's minister of justice because it bears the sword. And the reason we have to be so cautious about where the state goes is because it doesn't just bring moral the moral suasion of the family or the uh, church discipline of the church or the excommunication of the church. It brings sword power, right? We don't execute our children for, for disobedience uh, as actually the Roman father could. Um, uh, but the state has this expansive coercive power. So wherever you bring the state, you bring that, its, its own peculiar coercive power, sword power. So when you allow that to come in to dominate the family, you get the redefinition of the family and so on in a, in a secularized culture. If you allow it into the church, you get a th essentially a politicized state church, a controlled church, the church in China, the church in the communist world that's not underground. If you bring it into medicine, you get state-controlled medicine, ab abortion uh, uh, funded by the taxpayer. You get MAID, you get sex change surgery and all of these things that are man paid for by the state. This is the danger. You bring it into charity, then you get massive welfareism, mm -hmm. right? And you get socialism and you get the imposition. And this is, what, this is what technocracy means. It's, it's the authoritarian. It's not just authoritarian, it's totalitarian, which means... It swallows up the other sovereign spheres of life in parts to whole fashion. It starts to regard people, families, churches, medicine, institutions as merely lesser parts of the state. And that's the great danger. And that's why we need a consistent 
theology or philosophy of culture so that we understand the authority of the Church of Jesus Christ. So we would admit that if a, if a Christian or a pastor in the church is committing criminal offenses in, the, is, in terms of public law, public justice, there's criminality, the state has a right, unlike the medieval church tried to say, no, you don't, even in criminal matters, and tried to say that uh, uh, clergy were free from that kind of prosecution. Um, but no, we would recognize the state has authority there in criminal matters. Same in the family. If a man is uh, abusing his children, beating his wife, the state has obligations there. But the state is not some omnicompetent, as Lewis called it, this omnicompetent technocratic body which has authority to regulate every area of our lives. Its sphere is delimited. It's specifically limited by God. Um, and the church's role in such a time as this is to speak in terms of its authority, which is prophetically to power and assert its own freedom over the issue of worship. I've got no, if I'm committing a criminal offense, the state has every right. Other than that, has no authority to reach into the area of non-civil private law and dominate in this totalitarian fashion. And I think in some respects, as we've gone around these various issues, that's what it comes back to. Mm -hmm. And I don't believe it has the right to quarantine the healthy. There is no basis for that in Scripture. There's no basis for that historically. And uh, we're, in a, we're in a battle for freedom right now. And, and, and it's incredible how s slowly, like the proverbial toad, we've been cooked, uh, boiled to death here in the war, not noticing the change of temperature. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that, uh, as you've, you've mentioned there, that does kind of bring us full circle. Uh, we're getting on for time for today, and uh, but what, one last thing, uh, just on what you've been saying, Joe, and Nate, maybe you can you want to jump in here as well. There's there've been a lot of hard words for those churches that are that are not meeting, that are that seem to be cheerfully or unthinkingly submitting to state diktat. What what do you say? to those churches who have opened up? What, what, mm -hmm. uh, what encouragement or caution or uh, word of, uh, yeah, what, what prophetic word do you have for those churches who are trying to be faithful, who are back, uh, back with us? Yep. So Ryan, I would say that uh, the churches that who have come back together for worship um, just as families have come back together and um, restaurants are uh, 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 going forward and and um uh, certain sports events are going forward and uh, uh schools are back and this uh for the most part that um the church conti continues to um assert its freedom and uh i think that we do need to give christians freedom of conscience and therefore i would not uh by virtue of the nature of the church i would not pronounce an edict upon every Christian to get back to their church, whatever their condition, whatever their health condition, whatever their situation, but to wrestle with and think through what we've been saying today. Um, uh, th those faithful churches need to press on. Of course, in the fall, there will be cases here and there, but I think we need to resist uh, any edict that would come down and try to shut down Christian worship again as unconstitutional. We have seen the suspension. Look, this, here's, here's a point I wanted to make earlier, make it very briefly. Yep. When you mentioned about Nero and uh, the, the, the situation which the Christians were in in the first uh, century and, uh, and actually in the second century and beyond, um, 
we're not in that situation today. We live uh, in a, a society that's been profoundly over centuries influenced by the Christian faith uh, that has meant in a process of disclosure of God's norms in creation, we have seen uh, the expansion of liberty and freedom that started with the church to the point at which we now participate in the uh, election of our own governments. We appoint our own governments. Don't forget, friends, you know, churches. The state works for you. Mm-hmm. MPPs, MPs, bureaucrats work for you. In a, in a modern democracy, the way in which we install government democratically means that they are accountable to us as people. Uh, there, is an, there is a structure of accountability there. Uh, you are an interpreter of the Constitution. You're an interpreter of the law as well. That's what it means to be a citizen. That's why you mm-hmm. can make a citizen's arrest. You have the power of arrest, Ryan, because you are able to interpret the law for yourself and arrest somebody who is breaking it. Mm-hmm. That's what it means to be a citizen. And that's why we have citizenship uh, uh, programs and exams before you can become a citizen, right? And, and, and right now, we are still in a period where several fundamental freedoms in the Canadian Charter, which is the supreme law of Canada, interpreted in terms of um, common law as its background and history, uh, are being violated and suspended. And so the church has to assert the freedom we have under God and the constitutional freedoms we have as citizens. I'm a, I'm a father in, the, in my family and a husband. I am a pastor in my church. Um, I am an employer in my workplace. I'm a citizen in my nation. And that brings obligations and responsibilities to me. So unlike the church in the first and second century that had to uh, resist to the point of martyrdom to assert the church's freedom in the midst of an emperor cult and assert their their freedoms, um, and yet they were the, the, the best citizens, they paid their taxes, they prayed for the emperor, uh, they, they prayed for those in authority, um, but, that didn't, but that didn't stop them being persecuted. And but right now we enjoy the 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 legacy of the influence of Christianity over centuries, so that we don't have to bow down under that and be crushed by it. Uh, but freedoms not fought for are soon forfeited. So I would say to all of those churches who are meeting together, keep going, be faithful, keep up the prophetic witness. Write to the politicians, write to the MPPs, challenge them. Um, take every opportunity to to uh, let them know what your thoughts are and take your place, your rightful place, in a democracy, in government. That's your role. That's your responsibility. And it's doubly our role because we serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who is the ruler of the kings of the earth. And he requires certain things of government. Let me f- I'm going to give this to Nathan because I want him to have the last word. But, but let me... Uh, cite my last quote from Lewis's um, uh, uh, article in The Observer, because I think it's a great way for me to conclude my comments. He says this, the modern state exists not to protect our rights. So he's now observing what's happened to the modern state. You know, when I said things like this, Ryan, I just to caveat this, when I said have, have said things like this for 10 years or more, I said them in the mission of God, I've yeah. been accused of all kinds of things, being a hysteric, being out of my mind, beside oh, yeah. myself being a dominionist and all this sort of thing. 
This is C.S. Lewis, an Anglican in 1958. Most people have at least, Christians at least know of his Chronicles of Narnia. State church guy. Right, there you go. This is what he says. The modern state exists not to protect our rights, but to do us good or make us good. Anyway, to do something to us or make us something. Hence the new name leaders for those who were once our rulers. We are less their subjects than their wards, pupils, or domestic animals. There is nothing left of which we can say to them, mind your own business. Our whole lives are their business. And he goes on and says, in terms of our real dilemma, we are tamed animals. Oof. Now that is what we are in a battle to resist as God's people. And that's what the churches right now who are meeting should remember and continue to do. Mm -hmm. And a hearty amen to all of that, Joe. Uh, I reiterate everything you just said. And I think uh, continued resistance is necessary. And we really do need to think through uh, this idea of being citizens in a constitutional monarchy Mm -hmm. where it is our responsibility to put politicians on notice to ask them to interpret bylaws properly, and we need to share our conviction with them. And to do any of these things is is in no way a violation of Romans 13, which I think a lot of us have deluded ourselves into. That's um, a very good point. Yeah, I, I, want, uh, I want Nathan to have the last word as well, but I'm going to hop right in here quick, Joe, and just say that uh, for all, all of you who are, who are not pastors, uh, be praying for your pastors. Be praying for your elders. Yeah. Joe, you, you've laid out, I think, a, a good, a thorough program, but to, like that's, that's work. Not that we shouldn't do it, of course. We should do all of those things and be involved in that. But guys, your pastors are, are in a, uh, a tough spot right now as they, as they navigate the, the feelings and the fears of all of the people under their care in in really dramatic ways uh, in the And they need to be emboldened by them, right? They need to be emboldened by their congregation to know that you're behind them. And I mentioned earlier, yes, liberty of conscience. If people want to wear a mask or not wear a mask, let's not judge one another in that. Correct. But encourage your pastor that you're not going to hang them out to dry when they try and lead. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, send them a note. Like, we're praying for you. We appreciate your leadership. We're, uh, doesn't doesn't matter if you... uh, if you agree with them lockstep on mm-hmm. how they are handling it, continue to pray for them. Right. Challenge and them then, if they're not opening the church. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah. And that circles back to what I was saying about Romans 13, because uh, now that we've elected these officials into office doesn't mean we can simply just lay down our job is done. No, as citizens, we are to continually hold them accountable. That's absolutely right. Romans 13 does not absolve us of responsibility and accountability. In, in our Christian-influenced society that's bequeathed us all of these freedoms, God has given us the privilege of being able to elect officials, um, participate in our own government, um, interpret law as citizens, and hold our elected officials accountable. That's what a parliament is. It's why we have a commons. Uh, it's where we have the two houses, of course, in Britain. It's the Lords and a Commons here. We've got the the Senate and the and, and the Commons, and they represent us, and we have an obligation to hold them accountable in terms of the ultimate authority of God, actually. Uh, and then, of course, in terms of what is best for our communities. 
Um, so it blindly accepting authority is the furthest thing from Paul's mind in Romans 13. The only person who has unequivocal sovereignty and authority in our lives is God himself. Well, Joe and Nate, thanks a lot for being here. Uh, this has been an awesome conversation. Mm-hmm. I hope you've enjoyed it uh, as much as I have. It's been edifying. Don't be a tamed animal. <laughs> Break out of the cage, Ryan. Here, here. Amen. Resist. It's passed down as a prophecy Every year about this time